So who's excited to get into the book of Revelation? Yeah. And if, you, if you're not excited, you might as well get excited because we're doing it no matter what. Okay. The book of Revelation, it's uh, the last book to be written in the Bible. You will find it at the end of your Bible. It's a very, very easy book to find. Turn all the way to the end and then just hang a left until you get to Revelation. Okay? It was written by John the Apostle. Jesus had 12 close followers, 12 men that were called apostles. John was one of them. John was also in the inner circle of three apostles. Peter, James, and John. And John was also Jesus' best friend. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, this is how much he trusted John. As he was hanging on the cross dying, who was there in front of him but John? And standing next to John was Jesus' mom, Mary. And Jesus looked at John and said, John, take care of my mom. That's how much he trusted John. That's how close he was to John. And when John wrote this book, he was in exile. He was an old man. He was in exile on an island called Patmos because he just would not stop talking about Jesus. He was there when Jesus died. A few days later, he was there to see that Jesus had risen from the grave. He saw Jesus alive and was taught by Jesus after he was resurrected. And he spent his entire life talking about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, leading churches, training people. In tradition, historical tradition says that they tried to kill John. They boiled him alive in oil and he didn't die. And he just kept on talking about Jesus. So revelation, the word revelation, the New Testament was written in Greek and the Greek word that's used is apocalypsis, which means we get our word apocalypse from that. Uh, It means a revealing of something that was previously unseen or unknown. It's an unfolding of the future. It's an unveiling. It's also, and you may not realize this, it's a letter. It's a letter that's written to seven churches, which we'll see later, seven churches that are in modern-day Turkey. And it's, it's a letter that's meant to be read. A lot of people avoid the book of Revelation for various reasons. Um, because it's different. It starts off very encouraging. And, and uh, you, there, there's Jesus appearing to John and talking to John. There's, uh, there's a scene in heaven around the throne of God. But then towards the... After about chapter four or five, it gets dark and it gets weird. And there's beasts and dragons and plagues and angels and demons and violence and death and earthquakes. 
and a lot of symbolism that's hard to understand. And so some people tend to avoid this book. But why should we study Revelation? We should study it, but why? Well, I told you it's physically at the end of your Bible. It's also actually the the last book of the Bible that was written. It's God's final word to us. It lays out God's plan for the world. What's going to happen in the future? Where is this all going? And here's something I've really been thinking about as I've been studying this book, this passage that we're going to look at today. Revelation gives us a heavenly perspective about the present and the future. If you're like me, you can tend to just get into the routine of your daily life, going to work, interacting with your family, interacting with your friends, watching TV, just the same old stuff every day, right? And you can kind of get just focused in on what's in front of you. But behind and around the physical world that we live in is a, is a supernatural world. Just as real as this physical world, there is a supernatural world. And God rules over them both. Who have, no, have any of you noticed that things don't seem to be getting better in our world? Have you noticed? The reason... I mean, we're, we're fallen people and we're perfectly capable of screwing everything up on our own without any help. But there are unseen forces at work that behind and around everything that we can see. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. See, God created everything, including supernatural beings called angels. And there was an angel called Lucifer who rebelled against God because he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to sit on the throne. And so he and a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven, and we refer to them today as demons. God is the creator. Satan can create nothing. But Satan can twist and distort and lie. And he can try to counterfeit everything that God does. So God created man and woman and said it was good. And Satan says, you don't have to be a man or a woman. You can be whatever you want. And God created man and woman to be married and to form a family unit. And Satan says, oh, you don't have to marry a member of the opposite sex. You can marry whoever you want.
Everything that God made, Satan tries to counterfeit and deceive people. So the problem in our world today is not ultimately political, left and right. I don't care which side you're on, left or right. We all think, hey, if our guys could just get in office, things would be better, right? Let me tell you, that's not true. It's not ultimately about left and right. It's about heaven and hell. So we're going to look today at just the first eight verses of Revelation. So Revelation 1 Verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, those first five words. How could you not want to read this book? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who were before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, I'll just tell you up front that my basic outline and a lot of the information in the sermon today comes from a book called Revealing Revelation by Amir Sarfati. He wrote this book uh, for everyday people. It's not an exhaustive commentary. He just says, I want to be your tour guide through the book of Revelation and show you that it can be understood. There's a lot about Revelation that... Oh, before I go on. We have a bunch of these books we got from their, their from his ministry called Behold Israel. And you can see the website there. Uh, they gave us a really good price on these books. So back on the back table at the Connect desk in front of the stairs, we have these books. They're available for, it's just a suggested donation of $5.50, which is an amazing deal. It's about half of what you'd pay online. So um, if you can afford that, just make, a, just make a donation. Just put it in the offering. Uh, you don't even have to say it's for the book. Just put money in the offering and take one of these books. Um, but I recommend it. It's a great book. So the thing about Revelation, uh, like I said, a lot of people tend to avoid it. We shouldn't avoid it. There's a lot in Revelation that is hard to understand, but the entire book can be comprehended. Okay? There's a lot of prophecy in this book that's in the future, 
And you never know exactly how to interpret something that's going to be in the future until you're the generation that sees it happen. However, this book can still be understood and comprehended. So remember, like I said, this is a letter. And letters in those days, the introductions, we always sign our name at the end, right? The introductions were at the beginning. And so that's this whole eight verses that I just read is an introduction. It tells us who it's about, who wrote it, And the subject is the first five words. If you send an email, there's the subject. What is this email going to be about? Well, this email is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. This book, if I ask you all what revelation is about, I'd get a bunch of different answers. It's about the Antichrist. It's about end times. It's about... Um, the thousand-year reign of Christ, it's about... And all those answers are correct, but what this book is really about is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The first chapter starts with Jesus, the last chapter ends with Jesus, and Jesus is all throughout this book. The entire Bible, by the way, is all about Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead and he was... And he met two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus. It says that he showed them in the Scripture, which at that time was the the Old Testament. It says Jesus showed them in the Scripture how, how it all spoke about him. All of it. Well, this book is no different. And I told you that John is the author. Well, John held the pen. The author is really Jesus. He told John what to write. In verse 3, says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So I'm blessed because I read it aloud. You're blessed because you heard it read. It says, Blessed are those who read, who hear, and who keep what is written in it. And keep here means to fulfill what you read, to observe, to pay attention to. And all three of those, reading, hearing, keeping, all three of those are in the present tense, which implies a continued reading, a continued hearing, a continued keeping. We should read and read and reread this book and pay attention to what it says. And this is the only book in the Bible that contains a direct promise of blessing. Yet it's often left unread. God wants us to know the signs and be warned about what's coming. He doesn't want us to be in the dark about where this is all headed. And at the end of that verse that we just read, verse 3, it says, for the time is near. Well, what does that mean? Because this was written close to 2,000 years ago. Is it really near? And people will say that. They're like, 
uh, near passed a long time ago, so I don't think it's happening. Well, we read in Second Peter, which is a letter from the Apostle Peter, in Second Peter 3, 3 through 9, he wrote this, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants as many people as possible to be saved. You know, those of us that are believers, we will often, and this is a good, it's okay to say this, this is a good thought. We will often say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then others who have family members and friends who are unbelievers will say, don't come just yet, Lord Jesus. I'm praying for their salvation. I want them to be saved. God wants that too. He wants that even more than we do. And people will look and say, there's so much evil in the world. So many bad people doing bad things to people, to children. There's no God. How could he let that happen? Well, God will do something about it one day. It says that the earth that now exists is stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God is not like us. We want swift judgment. God will judge. God will come. God will take care of evil. But He's, because He hates it, but He's also loving and He loves everybody and He wants people to be saved, to accept His free gift of salvation, have their sins forgiven, and be able to be in heaven and not hell. So God will act on His timetable. But when He does act, it will be quickly. So Revelation 1, 4-6. through This is who the churches are, or this is who the letter is written directly to. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.
So these seven churches in Asia, it's modern-day Turkey. These are churches that uh, John oversaw. By the way, John, did I mention John was a very old man when he wrote this? He, all the other disciples, the, all the other apostles had long since been martyred for their faith. They were dead. He was the last one. And he wrote this book, he wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote three letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in those letters, he speaks as a grandfather who just loves his children. So the greeting here in these verses we just read are greetings from the triune God. We believe that God is, exists as a trinity, a triune God, one God in three persons, the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the first one is God, the Father. It says he's eternal. It says God who is and who was and who is to come. And then the seven spirits who are before his throne is the Holy Spirit who God sends to live in each one of us when we become believers. And last of all, after the Father and after the Son, he saves Jesus for last. And he elaborates and heaps praise on Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus. John lists several uh, attributes of Jesus in this passage. First, he says, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. The faithful witness. What does that mean? Well, Jesus perfectly represented God the Father before the world. He not only acted upon the words of his Father, several times, he, he's, uh, when Jesus was before he was crucified, he would say, I only say what my father tells me to say. I only do what my father tells me to do. He spoke the words of his father. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, before Jesus was crucified, he was with his disciples. And one of his disciples named Philip said this, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Next, John says, Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Colossians 1.18 says this, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be pre preeminent. Jesus is preeminent in, in at least two ways. Firstborn indicates that there will be others to follow. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he has opened the door for our resurrection. Now in the Bible, before Jesus was resurrected, there were other people who had been raised from the dead through miraculous signs but they all died again eventually. Jesus is the first to raise from the dead, never to die again. And we will, if, if you're a believer, one day you will be raised from the dead, never to die again. He's also preeminent in that he is the perfect and only sacrifice 
that could be made for our sins. He is the perfect high priest and the perfect offering. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. So as a high priest, he offers the offering. But he is the only perfect offering. So as as that perfect lamb, he puts himself on the altar in our place. In Hebrews 10, 12 to 14, it says this, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." There's only one way to take care of your sin problem. You can be sorry for your sin. You can repent of your sin, but you can't pay the penalty for your sin. Your sin requires a sacrifice, a payment, and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to take care of your own sin. And because God loves you, he decided to take care of the, or pay the price for you through the shedding of his blood on the cross in your place where you deserve to be. And then God showed us that his sacrifice was perfect and acceptable by raising him from the dead. John then tells us that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth, kings, presidents, prime ministers, whatever title you want, they might think that they're in charge. But they have a ruler that's over them who puts them in power. Jesus. We'll read later on in Revelation, in Revelation 19, we get this picture of Jesus. And by the way, this this uh, passage I'm about to read and other passages, if you don't, here's another reason why you should study Revelation. If you don't study Revelation, you do not get a complete picture of who Jesus is. In other parts of the Bible, Jesus does talk about some of these end times things, but Revelation fleshes it all out and you get a picture of who Jesus is. Listen to this from Uh, Revelation 19, verses 15 through 16, talking about Jesus. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In other parts of the Bible, we get a picture of Jesus, the humble servant, of Jesus, the wise teacher, of Jesus, the miracle worker. Revelation shows us Jesus, the conquering king, who comes to take care of evil in the world and to wipe it out forever. Now, 
Next, John tells us that Jesus is the lover of our souls. In verse 5, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I think all of us in here would say, if we have kids, if our kids were in danger, we would lay down our life for our kid. We might lay down our life for a friend, close relative, for our spouse. But who would lay down their life for their enemy from somebody who hates them? I wouldn't do that. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. The Bible says that while we were still, or in Romans 5.8, it says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still rebelling against God, when we still had our fists clenched in God's face and said, I don't want anything to do with you. When we were running from God, God was still pursuing us. Next, John tells us that Jesus is the washer of our sins. It says he has freed us from our sins by his blood. He washed our sins away. Why is that important? We can't wash our sins, as I I just said. We can't do it. But here's the, the great thing, is that Jesus' work is perfect and cannot be undone. What did he say on the cross as he was dying? It is finished. It is finished. So why is that important to, to think about? Well, if you're anything like me, sometimes you're doing good. And sometimes you're doing bad. Like, hey, I think I've overcome this sin. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that thing as much as I used to. Oh, and then you stumble and, and then you feel bad and you're like, oh, I'm just hopeless. What sin is that, Evan? It's none of your business. <laughs> Worry about yourself. <laughs> but if we're honest, we all do that. We, we're, we have ups and downs. We have struggles. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. His work is perfect and cannot be undone. It's not dependent on how well we're doing. Yes, we want to continually try to get better, but I cannot fall out of God's hand. His work is perfect and cannot be undone. He washed our sins. And if He washed our sins, they can't be unwashed. We can have peace knowing that his work is finished. Even when we mess up, he does the work, not us. He keeps us, not us. Next, John tells us that Jesus makes us both a kingdom and a priesthood. In in verse 6, it says, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him, Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are promised to be a part of God's kingdom now, on earth, and in his coming rule on the earth. 
part of what we're going to study in the book of Revelation is that Jesus comes back to earth physically, wipes out all of his enemies, and establishes his throne and his kingdom here on earth. And if, we, if you're a believer, you get to be a part of his administration. That we're not going to be in heaven sitting on a cloud playing, playing a harp. That we'll have work to do. That we'll have responsibilities. With a perfect boss. Who has a perfect boss? I do. Jim is a perfect boss. But, but how, no matter how good our boss is, they have flaws, right? Just imagine the perfect king that you never have to wonder about what he's doing or his decisions or if he's going to mess up the economy or whatever. The perfect king, and we get to be a part of his kingdom. We're also priests. He makes us priests who get to represent God to the world. And then he's, he ends it with this praise. He says, all glory and dominion or rule belong to Jesus forever and ever. To which John adds, amen, which means let it be so. Then verse 7 tells us what's going to happen. It says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. This looks, this looks forward to when Jesus comes to set up His kingdom on the earth toward the end of the book of Revelation says the whole world will see him. Some will see him and rejoice. Some will see him and wail. Either because they knew they they now know that they they missed it or because they don't they still don't want to have anything to do with him. And the final verse that we read today, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Usually, Alpha and Omega is applied to God the Father. And that phrase, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, is applied to God the Father. Here Jesus applies it to Himself. Make no mistake, Jesus is God. The Almighty. And again, towards the end of Revelation in chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, Jesus says this, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what He has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus the human was born, but Jesus 
God existed from eternity past. He was at the beginning with God. So we need to pay attention to what he says. And the problem people have with that, with Jesus, is that they want to be their own God. We frequently act like we want to be our own God. That our ultimate happiness, our ultimate fulfillment comes from within within us. Let me just tell you, the answer does not lie with you. You are the problem. I am the problem. I am how I got here <laughs> to this point. I need a savior. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. And the reason society hates Christianity and hates Jesus is because we say there is an answer outside of yourself. There is nothing you can do to improve yourself. You are the problem. You need a savior. And people spend their whole lives trying to figure out how to improve their lives. God made each one of us with a need for Him. And we all try everything else besides Him. I'm trapped in the wrong body. I'll change my gender, then I will be fulfilled. I married the wrong person. I'm going to get rid of my spouse and pursue somebody else. If I can just make myself happier, then everything will be better. The answer lies not within yourself. The answer lies with Jesus. The problem is yourself and your sin. Jesus is the only answer. He's the only answer for you. He's the only answer for the world. He's the only answer for everything. So if you are not a believer, if you have not accepted that free gift of forgiveness of your sin, a free gift of salvation, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for all sin. The price has already been paid. And that free gift is just sitting there waiting for you to take it. But you have to accept it. You have to take it. There's people walking around under the penalty of their own sin, not knowing that the payment is there, ready to be accepted. And one day, as we'll see later on in Revelation, one day, all of us will stand before God to be judged. And if you're a believer, it says that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and then you get judged based on the work that Jesus did. But there's another book that Revelation describes. It says it contains all the deeds of your life, which is a really scary thought. And if you don't get judged based on Jesus' work, you'll get judged based on your work. And if you get judged based on Jesus' work, you're forgiven and you spend eternity in heaven. If you get judged based on your own work, you get judged on that and you get condemned to hell forever. People want to believe it. More people believe in heaven and God than believe in hell. 
and the demons. But both are very real. So I urge you, if you're not a believer this morning, if you haven't transferred your trust to Jesus and His work on the cross, on your behalf, do it today. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised the next hour. I'm going to call the band up and I'm going to pray for us. But if you are here and you would like to accept that free offer of forgiveness of your sin, and salvation, and new life. The Bible says that God gives you a new heart and begins, and, and be, you begin to want new things that please Him. If you want to accept that, it's on the one hand, it's very easy. On the other hand, it's very hard. It's very hard because you have to bow before God. You have to bring yourself under submission and you have to say, God... I give up control of my life and I give it to you. That's a very hard thing to do. But it's easy in that it's just there. That gift is just there for you to receive. So if you want to accept that gift, just pray to God and just say something like, God, I, I can't fix my sin problem. I accept your payment for my sin. And I turn my life over to you and I want you to lead me and be the Lord of my life. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that um, you be drawing people to yourself and opening their eyes and making them realize that there is something way beyond what we see here in this world and that you are the ruler of all and that at the end you win and you invite us into your kingdom to be with you forever. For those of us, God, who are believers, we thank you that we don't have to guess at what is coming. We don't have to guess why is the world the way it is and what's going to happen and, and what's going to happen to it and what are you going to do. God, thank you for your word that tells us that we can have hope, we can have assurance that you are in charge and that you love us. And that we can be with you forever. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. And now we rise to worship you. Amen.